We've been talking about joy in a, in a world that goes flat. And we're just sort of going to pull everything together here at the end and ask some questions about expectations. What should you expect from life? We've talked about how the world goes flat. It goes flat for all kinds of reasons. It's a rough world. There's disappointment. There's brokenness. There's sin. People disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. Joy is something we often have and lose. Sometimes it's loose if we can't get it at all. And the question we're sort of asking and wrestling with tonight is, uh, is it even possible, really? What kind of life do you have to live to be joyful? Think about how many people you know that have everything you think they should have to be joyful and are still miserable. There's a lot of them. Think honestly about yourself. All the stuff that you have currently at your disposal, and yet you're anxious and worried. Is a joyful, peaceful life of contentment possible? Our text makes it clear it is. But we have to live a little differently and think a little differently than we often do. Our text is Philippians 4, 10 to the end of the chapter. And uh, please follow along as I read. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every seat. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, let's pray together. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this semester of study and pray tonight as we study this text that you would clarify things, pull things together in our hearts and minds. Show us yourself more clearly. Show us our need for you. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I was reading an article recently, and uh, it was something like the screwed generation. And they were talking about you. And um, according to many scholars, and, and, and many of you that have been polled, perhaps not personally, but your generation, millennials, as you've been called or termed by sociologists, who have long been known... Well, you're not very old, so not too long. But, you know, for a decade or so, we're known for your optimism. Uh, you're starting to turn a little sour. Starting to get a bit sour. Uh, recently polled, 58% of recent college grads feel they won't do as well as their parents. Only 16% thought they'd do better. And uh, throughout the survey and the research, what we see is the dissolution of hope of the American dream, the American dream being the ability to work yourself into a better place than the previous generation. And uh, sociologists and economists are sort of now talking, well, not really economists, but sociologists who think they're economists, are, are, are now talking about this generation's ability to practice 
downward mobility. Uh, perhaps not upward mobility because maybe there's nowhere to go. The question is, will you have the ability to be able to move downward in life economically and expectations and still be prosperous, balanced, healthy, contributing members of society? Inevitably, all this has led to a delay in typical signs of adulthood. Now a quarter of you graduate from your uh, liberated college environment only to move back home into mom and dad's basement. And there are all other kinds of social uh, and uh, national trends that go along with this. Uh, marriage being delayed, birth rate dropping, and so forth. Uh, do you all talk about this at all? Like in college, in class? Has anyone ever talked about this in class? You, you're a dower. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> do you think about this? Yeah, one or two of you. Are you concerned about this? A few of you. Are you sort of acting like this is not real? Yeah, a few more hands. Um, what will life be like for you? I don't know the answer to that. Um, a better question perhaps to ask yourself is, what must like life be like for you, for you to be happy and content. Most likely you have a story, I call it your glory story, it's the way things have to be for you to be happy and content. What if that story doesn't happen? Can you still be happy and content? If things get worse, can you still be happy? And uh, what we're going to argue tonight is that if, you're, if your path to happiness and joy and peace is dependent on the circumstances of a culture, uh, of an economy, of a country, of your ability uh, to work this path, it is, it's likely going to be a, pump, a bumpy and uh, perhaps disappointing trip. Uh, the good news is sort of bad news. Uh, the good news is that uh, this path, which I think is in America a path of self-sufficiency, that is never actually quite delivered on the promise. Uh, the path of self-sufficiency says if you work hard enough, you will be happy. We, we've taken the right to work for happiness, to be the right to be happy, and sort of short-circuit it. There's no guarantee, and you know this. Some of you that have grown up in troubled homes where mom and dad are successful, you know that getting what you want doesn't necessarily make you happy. Often it leads to cynicism, emptiness, and uh, loneliness. There's good news. There's good news. And I'm not saying you should, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying drop out of college, grow your hair out, and go play hacky sack in the field. Don't do that. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. Um, yeah. Pursue the American dream. Uh, but at the same time, realize that the path to peace and joy and happiness is a path of pursuing contentment and not just achievement. And uh, the path we often pursue doesn't lead to what we think it does. It leads to personal poverty. And instead, we must rest in the riches of Jesus. So tonight, we're going to talk about the path of self-sufficiency, the poverty of self-sufficiency, and lastly, the wealth of Jesus. And again, I promise to move through this quickly. So if it seems like I'm hurried, it's because I'm keeping my word. Uh, the, the path of self-sufficiency. And this is a real idol in our culture. It, we, we believe it's a God-given right that we should be able to do whatever we want, wherever we want, whenever we want, and no one can stop us. Um, it's... Evident in this text, sort of in reverse. Uh, Paul here is, I mean, Paul's quite the man. Um, he's an exemplary person and leader in all kinds of ways. Um, but we see in verses 11 and 12 that he's not in control. Uh, 
And uh, part of being sufficient, self-sufficient is the idea that we should be in control. And Paul says, uh, I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've been brought low, know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. You know why he faced all those things? Because he couldn't help it. Because there are circumstances beyond his control. You know, besides Jesus, you know, Paul was this close to God. I mean, he was right there. If anyone could manipulate the circumstances and walk closer with God, and if God blessed us because we were close to him, it would have been Paul, don't you think? All this stuff happens to him. Hunger, need, abundance, poverty. He's not in control. And uh, we have this deep rooted sense that we should always be in control of our circumstances. It used to be said back in the 80s, there was this stupid commercial for some deodorant, never let them see you sweat. But they were really playing off the inner fear we have of appearing like we're not in control. Frankly, I really struggle with this one myself. I'm okay if people think I'm old. I don't want them to think I'm incompetent. I want to be in control. Uh, a second aspect of the self-sufficiency in our culture is that we consume. We're in control and we consume. Part of it is that our heart is a wanter. We want stuff. We want joy. We want pleasure. We want stuff. We want comfort. The second thing is that our culture feeds this and does a good job of any culture since maybe the Romans of saying, you really, really need this. And if you get all this stuff, you will be in control. You'll be comfortable. You can actually get enough stuff. We can buy yourself a nice little place and build a fence around it, and you'll be happy there. Only at the same time they're telling you, actually, all that stuff you have doesn't make you content. You really need more stuff. That stuff you have now is old and passe, which needs more stuff. And there's all kinds of clues. If you just sort of pay attention to the way things are advertised and marketed in our culture, you realize we do this. We're told the stuff you consume will make you happy and joyful. Only until it's too old and now you need something new. Uh, some evidence of this. Uh, so Black Friday is now becoming Black Thursday, which is Thanksgiving. Like Stores are moving Black Friday to like Thursday afternoon. So you can like meet with your family, eat the turkey, and run off to Walmart. Because you can't wait till 5 o'clock on Friday morning anymore to get your stuff. And uh, you know another good example is, uh, I love this one. It's the Coke commercial with the nerdy looking guy. Who's like when he's a kid. He'd, everything he's ever had his whole life has never been good enough. There's always something else. And uh, so, you know, he's the guy that gets a job. The guy gives him the offer and he's like, and? Meaning, I deserve more. And the guy gives him something. And uh, he's disappointed when he reads the Coke and because he drinks the Coke's the best thing ever. He's like, oh, it's actually going to be what it's supposed to be. Oh, no. I can't expect more. And it says, and only one calorie. And he's like, oh. It's not enough in our culture that things just deliver what they say. They have to deliver above and beyond. That's sort of the way we are. We expect the impossible of things. And third, uh, part of the self-sufficiency is we conceal. Control, consume, conceal. Um, Paul doesn't do this. He shares, he shows, he declares his need. Um, but we hide our lack of control. We hide our need. And we're motivated to do so. We're motivated by fear. We're motivated by fear that we're not going to accomplish everything we're supposed to. We're motivated by the fear that not being in control and not performing well, we're going to disappoint others. We're motivated even by the idea that I'm working really hard to achieve this, but I'm not at all con convinced it will actually work. Is it even worth it? We hide all those doubts and worries, anxiety and concerns, and put them away. We hide our weakness um, because we're supposed to be self-sufficient. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to have it together.
And what we have in total here, this idea of self-sufficiency, is an altogether unrealistic, extravagant expectation of life and humanity, of yourself. You've actually been told your whole life that you can do whatever you want. And that's sort of nice. It's also an utter lie. And you're trying to live up to that. Um, you can do some grand, great things. I hope I'm not crushing your expectations that you're going to be the next astronaut or Olympic bodybuilder. But no one in this room probably is. Um, you just... I know you, actually. I'm pretty sure you're not. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're limited creatures, and we don't act like it. And it's exhausting. You know, why do we like superheroes? Uh, some people would say we love the vigilante justice. Actually, you're crazy if that's it. Because, uh, man, all these guys should be locked up. They're vigilantes that go above and beyond. They have superpowers, and yet they don't just, like, Superman doesn't, like, walk up to a criminal and just grab him by the arm and cuff him. He beats them to a pulp. He's a bully. And then he carries them away. It's, it's not justice. No, we, we like superheroes because of their power, their ability to control their circumstances and environment. We want that. However, the other reason we like them, and this is sort of the strange irony, is um, because they're often human, and that they have to conceal what's really going on, their humanness. You know, I can't really reveal who I am to the world. They'll judge me. She'll never love me. I'll never have a kid. My kid will be an alien. I might have a spider baby. All this crazy junk. Um, they have to conceal who they really are. We want the power, and yet we miss the reality that even though we want to be like them, their problems are the same as ours. They don't feel like they can really be who they are. They're concealing who they are. Now, I could take either one of these three things and show you how you're addicted to self-sufficiency. How you consume, how you conceal, how you fight for control. But I'll just do the uh, conceal thing. Um, how many people here know you really well? Really well. Like things you would only probably tell your mom well. Or if you were drunk, well. Um, Sorry, some people are only really honest when they're very drunk. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not advising that, by the way. I'm just saying it's true sometimes. Um, secondly, is an aspect of this. Um, are you the kind of person that people confide in? Do people confide in you? Do they come and approach you and tell you what's going on in their life? Do you get a sense that you really know what's going on in people? Because if you don't, this is why. You're not approachable. You're too busy. You're too busy being self-sufficient and pursuing your path to make time for others. Um, we actually do a really good job of hiding. And we usually only reveal ourselves and open ourselves up to people that appear honest to us and are open to us. The sad thing, there's lots of sad things about this, we are, we are in pursuit of self-sufficiency because we think it's going to deliver us the goods and it actually leads us to poverty. And it does so in relationships. Uh, it gives us an inflated self, a diminished view of God, and uh, distant relationships with others. The inflated self, uh, verses 11 and 12, um, Paul talks about what he's learned. Uh, I'm not speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Later in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I point this out regarding the inflated self because I don't hear you guys talk about what you learn. Not in life, maybe in class. And it's because of this. Um, you don't expect to learn. You expect to know already. You expect to be. 
You're not allowed in life, and most of you know this, it seems, to be a, pro- a work in progress. You actually expect it to be a success. And most of you walk around every day saying, I'm the show. I've got to have it together. I've got to, I've got to be a finished product. As it regards life, I have to have it together. I can't stop and learn. Paul is saying here, I had to learn life. I became content by learning life. I had to become poor and had to experience abundance. I had to do all these things. He, he was humble enough to learn. We just expect somehow that we're supposed to know all this stuff. What we have is an inflated sense of self. And by inflated, I mean we literally puff ourselves up to appear right for the world where deep inside we are admitting, actually, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. Um, and that's part of the emptiness. We don't know, we're so busy building our resume and doing all these things that we don't actually stop and develop our inner sense of self. Half of us don't know who we are. This takes time, it takes patience, it takes living life like Paul did. And frankly, we want to figure it out right now. A lot of you are really trying to figure out, who am I right now? That's sort of good. I mean, that's part of being what you are, which is an adolescent. Don't hate me for calling you that. That's what sociologists call you. I'll call you young adults. And you're still figuring out who you are. Uh, it's okay. Stop trying to act like you got to figure it out. Um, this leads to a diminished view of God. This inflated self, where I've got myself together, I know what's going on, leads to a diminished view of God. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now you read that and say, how is he getting a diminished view of God out of this? Because of the way we often read this verse. If you grew up in the church or evangelical culture, uh, you realize this verse is quoted all the time. And in some of the most ridiculous situations ever. So I think the place in which I've actually seen this verse quoted the most is on the athletic field or in the weight room. And uh, it's this ridiculous thing. Like, yeah, I spent, I've spent 20 years in the weight room. I know it doesn't look like it. Further proof that um, we're not all meant to be world-class bodybuilders. Um, um, but I've seen, like, preseason All-American linebackers lifting weights, and before we sat saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm sort of thinking, like, I'm not sure that verse means what you think it means. Um, and what we're actually doing with this verse often is saying, God, I've got my inflated self, my awesome agenda, and what I need is a, a genie God to sort of like, just give me a little push. Continue to make me more awesome. Puff me up, give me a little bit of help, give me a little juice, uh, and we expect God to further our agenda and bless us and make us better whatever we are in our path to self-sufficiency. Um, that is not at all what this verse means. God is here saying, and Paul is here saying, uh, I'm having to learn how to live life. And it's hard. And God's teaching me how to be content in every situation. So, he doesn't make me rich when I'm poor. He teaches me how to be poor and be happy. He teaches me how to be content. And uh, we have this diminished view of God. We don't see him as an awesome God that can actually make me happy in terrible situations, uh, who, who loves me when things aren't going well. Instead, we have this genie God that's just sort of like our personal life coach to encourage us along a little bit when we're trying to do something that we might not be able to pull off on our own, maybe. So the diminished view of God, and um, lastly, um, we, we distance people. We, instead of uh, sharing our troubles, like Paul does in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble, uh, we conceal. 
instead of being in a partnership with others, like he talks about later with uh, the Philippians, um, we we let people in in little bits. We show them pieces, maybe. Maybe because we just deeply need someone for a moment. Um, but not because we've really entered into a deep, abiding, loving partnership or friendship with them. I hear this from some of you all the time. I've asked some of you lately, uh, who are your good friends here, and uh, what do you share with them? And what many of you often say is, I don't want to trouble them. Well, that's admirable. It is. Uh, it's also wrong. It's just not Christian. Uh, first of all, you're not sufficient to carry it by yourself, and you're not supposed to. Secondly, this is what the Christian community is for. And you're actually distancing people. And frankly, if you're not careful what you do, it actually is just uh, you share your joys with them, but not your burdens. You have a very sophisticated way of using other people. If they actually love you, they want to know these things and care for you. So we inflate ourselves, we diminish God, we distance others. Now, um, this is the poverty, the relational poverty of self-sufficiency, of getting on the path, and lots of you are on this path. I'm going to work my butt off to achieve this great goal, and uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not developing myself because I'm too busy, and, and yeah, maybe I'm not thinking of God the right way, and yeah, certainly my relationships with those aren't what they're supposed to be. But I'm on this path only for a short time until I get where I want to be. Well, who's to say you're ever going to get there? It's not guaranteed. You don't control your circumstances. Uh, how do you know that when you get wherever there is, it won't be just as frantic and busy and hard as this? Seriously. Do you think life is easier than college? Some of you do. Actually, this is my experience. Life is the accrual of responsibility. You get more stuff as you go, not less. And uh, if you're not careful, the way you pursue things and the way you pursue joy in life will cut you off from self, God, and others in a way that will leave you cynical, isolated, and bitter. So lastly, how impoverished are you feeling right now? Now, it's sort of not a fair question because I know it's in a semester. You've been running hard. You're spent. But think about, okay, not the last couple of weeks, but think about the last year. How empty are you? How much of the inflated self is true of you? If I go poking around on you, do I have to poke very much before the, all the air comes out? Do I have to poke very far before you admit, I am really distant from God, and I don't have hardly anyone here that knows me because I've been hiding. So I've been very negative. And actually, this is a very positive text. I feel like I need to do this because it's my job. Um, I'm going to be positive for a few minutes and then we're done. Uh, we have the wealth of Jesus at our disposal in lots of different ways. We have the pleasure of God, the provision of God, the power from God, and God's people. Yes, I alliterate even my subpoints. Uh, the pleasure of God. In verse 18, uh, Paul is saying, hey, you guys gave me this gift. And it's not just a gift that met my needs. It's a sweet offering to God. And uh, if we're not careful, we think about this the wrong way. It's like, oh, I have to give for God to be happy. Um, no. That sacrifice was made in Jesus. That sacrifice was done in Him. He is pleased with you as His child. But we have a God that delights in His children and delights in their love for one another. He takes delight 
in the gift of a small church's gift to a guy. That's the kind of God we have. We have a God, we don't think about God this way. We have a God that is pleased with his children. Some of you have parents. I haven't met them all. They love you. You know they love you. But they seem disappointed. Or perhaps you just feel like you could never quite measure up. Or perhaps they're just too busy to express how much, how proud they of you how proud they are of you or to tell you how much they love you. That is not this God. That's not this Father. He is pleased in you. And uh, He takes delight in you. And He provides for you. Verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now this is a great verse and it's a hard one too because it doesn't say you get everything you want. In our culture, we believe we should get everything we want. But it does promise that He provides for the needs of His children. That He knows them. That He cares. And then he can do so because he's wealthy and powerful. And he promises in verse 13, that verse, that uh, God's power is at work in us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah, we think of it wrongly often, but it doesn't mean nothing. We have a God who's at work in his children, enabling them to do things they naturally can't do, equipping them to live life in a hard world, equipping them to love people that are difficult, equipping them to try things they've never tried before, one of the side effects of being anxious and trying to be perfect is that you don't try things sometimes because you're afraid of failing. You don't look like a fool. It's part of not wanting to be in control. So, for instance, I would never do what you guys do. I would never climb in a boat and row because I would be an idiot. I'd probably drown. I would never try. This is also the reason I don't dance. Because, um, yeah, I'm sorry. You'll never see me dance. Actually, as a, as a, oh gosh, now I feel convicted. As an application of this text, I should probably be willing to dance at some point. <laughs> Don't count on it. <laughs> um, but sometimes we're paralyzed by the fear of failure, and we won't even try great things. Uh, we have a God that promises to be at work in His power in our lives. And lastly, this is no small thing. Uh, we have the people of God. And this text is all about the people of God. It's sort of getting short shift here at the end. Um, But Paul and the Philippians are in this loving relationship. If you were here at the beginning of the semester, we started it, it was a love letter. He talked about how he yearned for them. That very, got a real physical, uncomfortable word, yearn. Longed for them with the affection of Jesus. They've loved him, provided for him. He's in a partnership with them. He says, you shared my trouble, your partner's with me, you helped me in my needs, I'm well supplied because of you. Uh, Friends, this is the way community is supposed to be. I know a lot of you have not experienced church or the Christian community this way. I'm talking to Christians and non-Christians. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's not always this ideal, but it's supposed to be like this. Uh, God has given us, out of the riches of Jesus, a loving community that's generous that cares for one another, that you can be yourself with, that you can be, like Paul, your needy self with, your real self, that you can admit it and be honest and be loved and cared for. The people of God are the hands of Christ. Christ administers his love to you and his provision for you through his people. Uh, You simply can't hide away and expect to feel loved. So the way to contentment and peace, friends, is not the path of self-sufficiency that many of us are on. Maybe you're not convinced that you're on a path to self-sufficiency. Come and talk to me. If not, I want to know what path you're on. Um, It's not about earning our own way, making our own way by having the perfect life. Uh, It's resting in Jesus' wealth. It's trusting in Him. And uh, this is something that you need to do whether or not you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Well, I'm not saying you need to do. 
but yes, if you're if you want to have, and I'm just going to be a hedonist here, if you want to have a peaceful, content life, joyful life, there are no guarantees, by the way, of course, about what life will be like. But if that's your goal, to have a peaceful, content life, uh, I'd hedge your bets on resting in the wealth of Jesus instead of your self-sufficiency. I really would. Because life is full of curveballs, you can't control your circumstances, and the way of self-sufficiency often leaves you isolated and cynical. And uh, this way, the way of Christ, the way of openness and honesty, at least you're your real self. Maybe you won't please everyone. They're not pleased with you anyway. They don't even know you. Perhaps you have a couple close friends that really love you and care for you. And uh, perhaps um, you'll see God working in you and changing you and making you content in every situation. Uh, the sort of this, friends, is that God's love for you is better than your plan for your life. It's better than your expectations. Uh, one of the kid books my children love is uh, Runaway Bunny. Anyone read Runaway Bunny and know what that is? So this is not fair. How many of you know what Goodnight Moon is? Yeah? See? Same author. Yeah? Wrote Runaway Bunny. Actually, this is fun. Go home, find your copy of Goodnight Moon. Look through it and look at the pictures in the background. It's stories and the pictures from Runaway Bunny. Anyone ever notice that? Yeah, the pictures in the background are from... She's advertising another book in her book. <laughs> Genius. Anyway, uh, and Runaway Bunny. Uh, there's a little bunny who wants to run away from his mother. And basically, he's charting a path to self-sufficiency. I was on that like at age 15. He's ahead of the curve. And... Um, he says, Mom, I'm going to run away. And Mom says, if you run away, I'll run after you. You're my little bunny. And little bunny says, well, I'll be a bird then, and I'll fly away. And Mom says, well, I'll be a tree that you land in. He says, okay, I'll join the circus and fly away on a trapeze. And his Mom says, I'll be a tightrope walker, and I'll walk across to you in the air. And uh, basically, the little boy keeps coming up with different ways to run away and things he'll be. And the Mom keeps talking about how she'll pursue him. She'll be a mountain climber, a gardener, the wind if need be. In order to pursue her little bunny, no matter where he goes, she will go. And lastly, the little boy says, I'll be a little mouse, and I'll run into the house. And the mom says, well, I'll be your mother and catch you in my arms. Stop the awing. You're getting to me. Uh, That's good. Um, And uh, the little boy says, "Uh, shucks, I may as well just stay here anyway and be your little boy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 See? This is what it's supposed to do to you. That's right. And, uh, and the book says, so he did. And the mom said, have a carrot. And, uh, <laughs> and actually, that's really important. It's really important. It is. You see, because the little boy wanted to run away, and he realized he couldn't get away. And that all that he wanted, he could get there anyway. And he was provided for. That his mother's love was far better than anything he could find outside by running away. And, and most of us, because of our sin and also our, our cultural idea of what gives us happiness, we've just sort of assumed we have to run hard and run away. And what we have in Jesus is one that's saying, I've done it all for you. I've run the impossible race. I actually died doing it, and I have wealth to share, and I'm more than willing to share it with you. Stop running and come home. Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the wealth of love and provision that's in you. We thank you that